Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. Welcome to the How'd You Get Into That podcast. My name is Grant. It's great to have you here with us. I hope you're doing good. Hope life is treating you well. We've got a great episode for you today, a very timely interview. We're a few days away. At the time of this release, we're a few days away from the Super Bowl. And so I've got my buddy Grant Wistrom joining us today. And Grant actually played nine seasons in the NFL, played uh, six seasons with the uh, St. Louis Rams, three seasons with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. And actually in those nine seasons, he played in three different Super Bowls. So we're going to talk about his journey into the NFL, what it's like to play in the NFL, what it's like to experience both winning and losing, not only in just the NFL season on just a week-to-week basis, but also we talk about what it's like to both win and lose in the Super Bowl. We talk about the behind the scenes of what it's like to play in the Super Bowl as well. So uh, we're also, I'm going to tell you this now, we're going to be introducing something new into the program this week. We are doing something a little different where we are going to be offering a little bonus material. Because one thing I've heard from a few people is they're like, I love the interviews. I just wish we could have more of them. And so what we decided to do is we decided to record this interview. And then after the interview, Grant and I stick around. Uh, I feel like I'm talking in the third person here, but Grant Wistrom and I stick around. And then we chat for another uh, like 10 minutes or so. And we ask a few more questions about the Super Bowl, about playing in the NFL, about winning and losing in life and in business. And uh, so we talk about that. So you can download that totally for free by going to grantbaldwin.com slash seven six, the number seven six for episode. 76. So you can do that again at grantbaldwin.com slash 76 if you would like the bonus material. So this is something we're going to be trying a little more of. We want you to be able to download some of this extended interview, some of these bonus questions and material that we offer with every single guest. We're going to try to offer this with every single guest going forward. And we're going to just try this out and see how it goes. So today we're going to get you started. But before we get to the bonus material, you got to start with the first interview here. So here is my interview with my friend Grant Wistrom. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my brother from another mother, Mr. Grant Wistrom, who played in the NFL for several seasons. We'll get into his story. Played in a couple Super Bowls as well, which we'll talk about, but good to have him hanging out with us today. So, Grant, what is up, man? Not much, Grant. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Anytime I get to talk to a fellow Grant, that's always a good thing. There's not many of us out there. I don't, At least I don't come across many of them. Yeah, it's not a name. I, you know, I've run uh, maybe 10, 12 in my lifetime, so... You know, I like to think we're pretty special, pretty unique in our own ways. We try to keep that between us and just the, our own special little name, though. There's just a handful of us out there. So you played in the NFL for several seasons. And, and at the time of this recording work, or when people are going to be listening to this, it's going to be a couple days before the Super Bowl. And, and you played in a few of those. So just give us a quick snapshot and overview of your NFL professional career. I went to the University of Nebraska, played there for four years. And I think it was a 1997 draft. I was drafted. I was a sixth pick overall by the St. Louis Rams. When I got drafted by the Rams, it was uh, they had been the losingest team in the in, in the NFL in the previous decade. <laughs> so, but my only saving grace in going to the Rams at that point was just being a Missouri guy going to Missouri team, getting to stay close to home. But even at that, I was a young guy, just out of college, pretty much lived my entire life in the Midwest. Wasn't overexcited about going to a losing team, nor staying in the Midwest for another segment of my life. But God knew what he was doing. He got me drafted to the Rams. Uh, my first year at the Rams, we were 4-12. and 12. 
I lost more games in one season than I've lost from junior high through my college career combined. <laughs> and then we go from 4-12 and 12 my first year to winning the Super Bowl my second year. My fourth year there, we played in another Super Bowl my sixth year. We were about one play away from playing in another Super Bowl. And then after that, I played six years in St. Louis. And then signed a six-year, I became a free agent at that point, and signed another six-year contract to move out to Seattle and play. And I only played three years of that contract out there. And the management came in and started bringing in their own guys. And uh, quite honestly, uh, my body and my mind had had enough of the NFL at that point. And they called me into the office and asked me to take a pay cut. And I kind of, they kind of knew what I was going to tell them to do with that suggestion. <laughs> and uh, we parted ways at that point, And I was able to come back home and uh, start uh, come back to God's country here in the Midwest and start the rest of my life. Nice, man. Good stuff. So nine seasons in the NFL, six with the Rams, three with the Seahawks. You played in a third Super Bowl with the Seahawks, didn't you? Yeah, we played in a Super Bowl XL, which is just somebody's brilliant idea to schedule a Super Bowl in Detroit in February. <laughs> so uh, it, it was funny. Like, as soon as that was put on, you know, they booked the Super Bowls four or five years in advance at wherever the site's going to be. And as soon as the site was declared that there's going to be a Super Bowl in Detroit, I was pretty, at that point, five years even before that game, I'm like, I bet that I'm playing in that Super Bowl in Detroit. And wow, what a lovely place that would be. For sure, for sure. Well, I'm interested, and in, I know a lot of people want to hear about the Super Bowl experience. What's that like to, you know, leading up to the game? What's it like playing in the game? But let's go back a little bit. So growing up, I know you're the middle of three brothers, right? Yep, I'm the middle one. I'm the messed up one. So did you always, were you always drawn toward football, or is that just kind of running the family, running the blood with the brothers? Uh, you know what? I played, uh, we were, when we were growing up, if we were playing sports and we're getting good grades, we didn't have to have a job. You know, obviously that really, the job thing didn't come into play once you got into high school. But as long as you're playing sports and you're getting good grades, uh, you kind of had, you, you had the ability to do what you wanted in our house. And not that we had free reign. Dad had a pretty short leash on us. But you didn't have a lot of responsibilities outside of that. Fortunately, I was, you know, I kept active in both of them. I always did well in school and I was always playing sports. So I wasn't really like, you know, at six years of age, I didn't know that I wanted to be a football player, but it was a sport that I naturally gravitated towards. Um, I craved the contact. I remember getting excited about hitting people and running around and having fun and making plays and being part of the team. So football, uh, a lot of things that go hand in hand, football, kind of were already in my DNA and but it was those the, that outlet that I craved so I you know I was decent at all sports growing up but I was always just a little bit better at football at what point did you recognize that? Because I think for a lot of people listening to this, you know, they may have a variety of different skills, but there's kind of that one that's slowly creeping to the top of thing that, that they're most interested in and thing that they're best at. So at what point did you realize, you know, of all the sports you could play, and I know you played a few in high school and probably you could have gone a couple different routes in, in life, but how did you know that football was the best pick for you? For me, it was the contact. I, I loved the hit things. I enjoy being hit. I love the violence of the game. And football, you know, as much as they try to water it down and protect people, at its core, football is a very violent sport. Right. And uh, I loved it. You know, I, I loved the fact that I could go out on the field and knock the hell out of someone and not be, not only not be thrown in jail for it, but be awarded for it, you know, and it's that type of thing excites me. 
it hurts when you get hit, yeah, but at the same time, there's kind of a rush, there's an endorphin release that comes with it. But when you level somebody, it's like you don't even feel it. It's like when you, you know, guys that play baseball, guys that play golf, when you hit that ball right, you don't even feel the contact. It's like the ball melts into the club or the bat. When you hit somebody correctly, it's the same way. It's like they almost melt into you and you're just exploding right through them. And that is just an incredible feeling. Nice. Sounds like you got some built up aggression there you had to take out. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I mean, you have a bad day. You want to beat the snot out of your brother. Uh, You can't do that bad at home, but you know what? You step onto the football field. That's all legal. Right. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of that. and And I took out a lot of aggression on the football field and, you know, sometimes I'm sure, if not sometimes, more often than not, a lot of people took out a lot of aggression on me as well. Yeah, for sure. So you play in junior high, you're starting to realize you got some skills there. You play even into high school. High school is where I assume things really started to kind of click and come together. Like, I think I could actually do this at a big level. At what point did you realize, like, maybe you got a shot at actually playing in the NFL? For me, it was like, you know, not uh, at high school. I'm like, man, I can play in the NFL. It was like, when I'm in high school, uh, we had a guy on our team, Mark Smith, who was at that point pretty much the greatest thing that had come through Web City as far as football was concerned. And when I was in high school, my dream was like, I want to make people compare me to him, or I want people to say, you know, he was better than Mark. Um, and he was a great player, got a scholarship to the University of Arkansas, ended up playing in the NFL for a little bit. But in high school, I just want to be the best high school player that I could be. I want to maximize my potential at that level. And if it propelled me further than that, that's fantastic. But I wasn't. I didn't have aspirations of going to Nebraska or playing a Division I school. I hope my brother played at uh, Central Missouri State. My goal at that time was to just get a scholarship and get my education paid for. Yeah. But by doing that and not just saying that I'm going to Nebraska and anything less is unacceptable, it was just, I'm going to be the best that I can be right now, and then we'll see what happens later. Right. And, uh, you know, by playing my games that way, you know, I wasn't getting out over my skis. I wasn't thinking too far ahead. If there were minor setbacks, it wasn't like the dream was lost. It was like, hey, that's okay. I didn't do that great today, but I'm going to keep trying to get better every day. And by playing that way, I was able to go to Nebraska. When I was in Nebraska, by playing that way, the dream wasn't get to the NFL. The dream was just be the best collegiate football player that I could be. And once again, by doing that, I was able to just keep propelling myself to the next level. Well, I think there's such a great point there for anybody listening that, you know, you have to do your best in the situation that you're in. And so, yeah, you may have one eye that from time to time looks over the horizon to just kind of see what the possibilities may be in the future. But right now you're in this moment. And so whether that be in high school or college or whatever the career or business or industry someone may be finding themselves in, yeah, you may grow somewhere else in the future, but today, you know, do the best with what you've been given and in the opportunity that you have. So when you're at Nebraska, you play four years there, and I was just kind of looking over your career before we got on the call here. Lombardi Award, 1997, as the top collegiate lineman, All-American two years in a row. Went on to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Four-year career, went 49 into two losses in four years and three national championships. So what are those four years like? Like, I'm just reading this. This is like video game numbers. So what is that like to actually experience it? Uh, You know, it was just... Once again, it wasn't like we, at the beginning of the season, it was like, it wasn't, we're going to go out and win the national championship. It was just, we are going to be the best football team we can be. We're going to prepare as hard as we can in this moment so that when we step out on the field on Saturdays, 
we're going to destroy people. And luckily we had the athletes and uh, at Nebraska to do that at the time. But, uh, you know, we won a lot of football games, not because we were a great football team. Well, I mean, we were a great football team. Let me take that back. Not because we were great football players, but because we were a great football team. We paid our dues in the summer. We were ready when we stepped out on the field to start preparing for the season when training camp that we weren't getting in shape then. We had killed ourselves in the off season so that when we walked out on the field, it wasn't about playing ourselves into shape. It was like, okay, let's dial this in now. You know, my senior year or my junior year, I probably could have been a first round draft pick if I had to come out early, but I had a, you know, we lost two games my junior year and I didn't want to go out like that. We didn't play for a national championship that year. So we, myself and another teammate of mine, Jason Peter, uh, just basically drugged that team along with us our senior year, you know, and and I don't want to say it was all us and nothing but us, but we were a huge driving force in the off season. If guys were missing workouts, we were banging on doors, bringing them up to the stadium. Guys are missing workouts. We're making them run bleachers afterwards. Uh, You know, the whole team was running bleachers because two idiots decided they weren't going to work out that day. So we just wouldn't accept anything less. It's like if we're putting our butts on the line and selling out for this team, there's no reason and no excuse why everybody else on this team shouldn't be acting in the same way. And uh, once again, just having that attitude that nothing less than our best, even when it comes to an off-season workout, anything less than our best is unacceptable. Just having that attitude every day, and just doing your best every single day just sets you up to success. How do you maintain that attitude? Because it's one thing whenever you're, you know, you're, you're just getting started with season and things are just getting rolling. And so there's just the anticipation, the excitement of, hey, we didn't do it last year, but we've got a good chance to do it this year. We've got a good class of seniors coming back. And you're excited there. But yeah, you go through the, you know, the two a days or maybe the three days and just you just start to wear down physically and mentally and emotionally. So how do you just stay engaged whenever you're building towards something and it might be easy to get sidetracked or discouraged? I think that's when the team concept comes into play and, and it can't, you know, it doesn't just apply to sports, you know, in my frame of mind, my mindset, business is a team sport as well. You've got your boss, you have your CEO, that's your head coach. And the rest of us are just role players in the organization. You know, you've got some assistant coaches and things like that, but we all have a role and we all have a job. And in football, if I don't do my job, I let everybody else down. Yeah. You know, we all have our role to play. If I'm going to go out there and I feel that, you know what, I can take this playoff, especially on defense or even on offense. I, offensive football is just a necessary evil for me. But uh, <laughs> on defense, <laughs> on defense, if I don't do my job, the whole integrity of the defense breaks down. And we lose, you know, we may not lose the game, but we're going to lose on that particular play. And that's unacceptable. So for me, whether it's an off season workout, or if it was one play in a game, if I took one play off, I didn't let myself down because I can do that from time to time and still live with myself. But you know what, if that guy next to me is working as hard as I am, I decide I'm going to take this play off. I let him down. I let the 10 other guys on the field down. Right. I let everybody in my office down. So, you know, the, the sense of accountability and dependability makes you play harder. And the sum of the parts become 
greater than the parts themselves. And it's just that mentality that if you take a playoff, if you don't try your hardest in this workout, if you don't sell out and go all out on this attempt, you're letting everybody else down. That's unacceptable. Letting yourself down from time to time, I can live with that. But if I let my teammates down, if I let my coworkers down, if I let my son or my daughter or my wife down, those types of things are unacceptable to me. Yeah, totally makes sense. Gotcha. So you wrap up there. You've got four years in Nebraska, by all accounts, a and a very successful career. Planning on going into the NFL. So you're drafted sixth overall. So what is that like? I mean, I know there's a lot of football fans that may be listening to this who watch the draft and they're booing or cheering for whoever their team's selecting. What's it like being on the other end of it, of just not really maybe having some idea of where you might go? But especially, I mean, it's one thing to go, you know, like in the later rounds. It's another thing to go within the you know the top 10 picks and be sixth overall so what is that feeling like walk us through that day uh you know what it uh at that time it was 1997 like i said um they weren't flying the entire first round out to new york so i was fortunate i was actually i woke up with my dad we went and hit golf balls nothing i'm a golfer by any stretch of the imagination but just looking for anything to waste time because it is a long day, you know, there's what, like 15, 20 minutes between picks. Right. And you never know how long you're going to sit around and wait. I don't even think I watched like the first two hours of the draft, but it was kind of, it was, it was cool. Nonetheless, you know, very excited to be at home with my friends and family. We're all just sitting in the basement of my parents' house, just, you know, hoping and praying and waiting that I wouldn't have to sit around too long to hear my name call. And, you know, luckily we didn't, you know, the sixth pick in the draft, you know, you're into the second hour like that. But um, I had a good idea that it wouldn't go very far for me. The Cowboys actually called me the night before, and they had the eighth pick that year. And they actually had a guy in uh, Joplin sitting in a plane waiting to fly me down to Dallas. And they called the night before the draft. They're like, you know, we really want you, you know, we really want you to be a cowboy. And I'm like, wow, I really want to be a cowboy. Even though I hated the Cowboys and still do, <laughs> but if they're going to pick me, I really want to be a cowboy. And especially, you know, when it kind of looked how the draft was stacking up, you know, I, I thought that would be my best chance for long success in the NFL. Like I said, the Rams were losing this team in the previous decade. And they called and said, we want to draft you, but we're afraid the Rams are going to draft you at the sixth pick. They're like, will you call them and tell them not to draft you? And I say, but sir, I really want to be a cowboy, but I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that guy. I, I don't really see myself as, you know, to me, when guys do that, they make themselves bigger than the team, bigger than the NFL. And I'm like, I'm not that guy. Yeah. I'm like, I, I hope that I end up to be a cowboy, but that's not me. I'm not going to call the Rams and say, don't draft me. I'm not going to play there. Right. And, uh, you know, I didn't. The Rams ended up drafting me six. The Cowboys still haven't won a Super Bowl since that draft. So, you know, once again, you know, God knows what he's doing, man. He had me go to St. Louis and, you know, met my wife there. I had the best six years of my life there. And thankfully, we don't get to make our choices a lot of time. Yeah. So what's that first year like? Because like you said, you'd gone through your junior high, high school, college career and are just used to winning and winning at a high level. And so now you go to the Rams that first season, you go four and 12, lose more combined that one season than the previous, what, 10, you know, 10, 12 years or so combined. So what is that even like for you? Uh, It was misery, absolute misery. Because not only do, you know, am I losing every game? I am a horrible professional. I don't know how to prepare. 
I'm not ready for the game at that level. It's such a faster game, and you go from football being fun and something that I'm really good at, and I'm the best guy out there, and I really don't have to prepare that hard mentally because I can go out there physically and get the job done week in and week out to being on a field where everybody is the best player on their college football team, and you're just mentally a cog in the wheel. And also the fact that crap rolls downhill. Yeah. So when your team is 4-12 and 12 and your coach is getting his butt ripped and you're a horrible professional and you're not doing anything on the field and you were the first-round draft picks, you don't have a lot of room for error. Yeah. And I was making a whole lot of errors on the field, off the field, falling asleep in meetings. I was a terrible professional. So that first year was absolute misery for me, away from home, uh, no friends in a city where I really didn't know anybody. And like I said, I, I didn't deserve to be there. So the fact that going into my next year, refocused myself as a much better professional. And the fact that when you're in an unfamiliar environment, you're hesitant. So going into my second year, I was much more prepared. I knew what was expected of me. I was a much better professional. It was like a switch had been flipped, and I was a much better player for any number of reasons. And also, winning fixes everything at that level. Right, right. So, you know, when you're winning, the mistakes aren't magnified. Hey, you know, we can live with that. Let's just fix it and move on. And, you know, once again, you go from 4-12 and 12 to Super Bowl things are going to be good. Right. So what was that offseason like, or just kind of that, not only just for you, but for the team and at large? I mean, you go from 4-12 and 12 to winning the Super Bowl next year. I mean, that's, you know, that doesn't happen. So what do you think it was that overall and then the big picture of just the, the team and the organization that shifted to be able to go from the, the bottom to the top? You know, I'd like to think it was me and all me and nothing but me. But <laughs> truth be told, you know, Kurt Warner goes from sack and groceries to NFL MVP. Yep. You trade for Marshall Falk, and Marshall finally gets an environment where he can experience success and be happy. Isaac Bruce is already there, so you've got a future all-pro, you know, future Hall of Fame wide receiver. You've got Marshall Falk, who's a future Hall of Famer. Kurt Warner, future Hall of Famer. Orlando Pace, future Hall of Famer, who's already there. And you draft Torrey Holt, who just comes out of nowhere and has an incredible year. And you've got Mike Mark, the offensive coordinator, who has all these weapons at his disposal to play with his offense. Once again, I'd like to think it was me, but I have to believe it was a lot of other factors besides me. And just coming together at the right time, Coach Vermeil, I was our head coach, and all along he said that he had a game plan going into it. It was a three-year plan. I would have been a third year there. My training camps, my rookie year, were brutal, absolutely brutal. I was actually talking to an NFL Films crew guy who was in the child line, the training camp next to me, and I hadn't experienced anything in the NFL, so that was all I'd known of it at that point. And he's like, are your camps always like this? I'm like, man, as far as I know, I'm a rookie. This is the first one I've been to. I'm like, why? What do you think about it? He's like, this is ridiculous. We've never seen anything like this. Wow. And so, you know, his game plan was just weed out the bad apples, weed out the people that weren't going to sell out. And uh, he did that in the locker room the year, you know, the year before the locker room, we had guys saying they weren't going to practice, guys trying to lead team revolts, things like that. Those guys were gone by the time the third year started. And it was a team that was selling out for each other, a team that believed in each other, a team that was going to do whatever it took to win. 
Yeah. And uh, that he, you know, he, to this day, he said that was my game plan going in, and it, obviously it worked out, man. It was fantastic. So what's that? Well, walk us through what's that like? Because you, you know, first year is horrible. The second year, you win the Super Bowl. After you, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk a little bit about what it's like to play in the Super Bowl because you've played in three of them now. So we're gonna talk about the overall experience. But after you win that one, and that was one that, if I remember right, you won on kind of a last second play. That basically, I don't I remember the exact details of it, but basically, you're playing the Tennessee Titans, stopped one of their guys at the uh, one yard line, just short of the goal line, which would have uh, potentially tied or won the game. So. What is that like to win a Super Bowl on the last play of the game? You know, it wouldn't matter if it was last play or first play, but uh, just winning a Super Bowl is amazing, especially for a city like St. Louis. You know, Grant, you're a big Cardinals fan. Um, You know how much that city loves sports. Right. So the fact that, you know, winning it in St. Louis, being from Missouri, being a guy that has tried really hard no matter where I've been to be out in the community, to be involved in the community and entrenched in the community, it was awesome. You know, I felt, I'm a Missourian, you know, to win a Super Bowl in Missouri was incredible. And, and the things I got to do because of it and all the opportunities it afforded me, just amazing. Closest I'll ever feel to being a rock star. That parade afterward was amazing. I, and I will be honest, I didn't draw a sober breath for about a week afterwards either, <laughs> because no matter where you went, everybody wanted to buy you a drink or a shot or something like that. And at that time in my life, I wasn't one to say no to anything. So I just lived it up for as long as I could because you work so incredibly hard to get to that pinnacle and to be able to, to crest it is absolutely amazing. And, you know, I experienced a lot of joy in my life. And, but quite honestly, the single most uh, outside of my marriage and birth of my children, single most incredible experience to be a part of just the outpouring of energy and all the excitement that goes with it. Absolutely amazing. What's it um, like then? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, man. I think you're going there. No, I was just going to say, like, what do you like? What do you do after you win the Super Bowl? You know, because it's kind of like, I almost liken it to, like, an astronaut who walked on the moon. Like, how do you top that in terms of your, after your career? Because it's, I mean, at that point, you're, yeah, you're two years in. And I, I would think, like, oh, this is normal. Like, we keep doing this, knowing that, yeah, we got to work hard to get back to this level. But now that I've tasted it, I want to keep coming back here. But how do you, like, how do you top that in your career of just winning the Super Bowl? Well, I think you look around the locker room and you see guys that have been playing 10, 12 years, and that's the first time they've ever been to the playoffs. Yeah. So you realize, hey, man, this isn't a given. This is not something that's going to happen every year. You know, and two years later, when we went back and we lost to the Patriots, Aeneas Williams was our cornerback or safety, and Aeneas had played the corner, I don't remember, but uh, he played 13, 14 years before he even got there. That was his first trip to the playoffs yeah. and his first Super Bowl. You know, it's not something that it's a given, but, you know, and then the NFL is such a, hey, you know, it, that's great. You won the Super Bowl. I don't give a crap anymore. We have to line up and do it all again next year. Yeah. So you don't have time to sit there and pound your chest and think about how great you are because, you know, it's just... It, the season's off, you know, the next season's a long way away, but it's one play and clear. It doesn't matter what you did the last play. Yeah. It matters what you're going to do on this play. So it doesn't matter what I did last season. What am I going to do this season? 
Let's talk about two years later, 2002, Super Bowl 36 against the Patriots. You lose on a field goal as time expires. Uh, Adam Vinatieri kicking a field goal to win it for the Patriots. So you go from one extreme to the other. You win it on the last play two years before. You lose on the last play. I mean, you come down literally to the final seconds and they kick a field goal to win it. So what is that like to go from one extreme to the other? It is, well, just not even the one extreme to the other because it's so far removed, you know, you're not even thinking about the win anymore, but just losing a Super Bowl is the absolute worst. You know, I've never, thank God, lost anyone close to me. I've been very blessed that way, but single most worst experience I've ever been in my, ever had my entire life. You kill yourself for eight months. So once again, to get to the pinnacle of the mountain and just because and we didn't win that game. They beat us, you know what I mean? It, and yeah. I have no excuses. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about the Patriots and some shady things that they do. Bottom line is they lined up and beat us that game. Yeah. So I don't, no resentment towards them. It's everything that we didn't do that cost us to not win that game. So you work so hard to get to the top of that mountain. And then at that point, you know, you're one of the best at the business. You know, you and another team are the best. Well, at the end of the game, it doesn't matter how hard you work to get there. You lost. Yeah. You know, you're back at zero. You're no better than the other 31 teams that didn't get there. It's like you just kill yourself. At least in business, you know, you kill yourself to get to the top. If you continue to kill yourself, you'll stay at the top. You know, you, if you continue to work hard, you will stay there. All things being equal. In sports, <clears throat> you work so hard to get to the top, you lose. Even if you win, the next season, everybody starts back at you know, the starting line. Yeah. So all that hard work, you know, it's almost for not when it comes to the next season. Yeah, you've got some experiences and things like that to build on. But it's not like since I finished, you know, number two in the NFL the year before, I got a head start on everybody. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, I I had some interviews afterwards where I was like, you know what, this season was a waste. This season was a bust because I truly felt that way. If you don't win it, it's not enough to go out there and play. You have to win. And I caught some heat for saying things like that, that the season was a waste. But it's how I truly felt, man. Um, you kill yourself to get there. And when you don't win, it's it's a waste. Yeah. So then you fast forward again four years, playing Super Bowl forty against, at this time, you're with uh, Seattle playing against Pittsburgh. You guys lose that one 21 to 10. Uh, is it just as painful? Or since you've experienced it before, does it take away a little bit of the sting of it? Or what is that like? No, it's just as painful, man. Any loss stinks. Yeah. Um, you know, they all, I, I won 49 games in college. I couldn't tell you about, I could tell you about a handful of the wins. I can tell you vividly about both of the losses. Yeah. I remember losses a heck of a lot more than I remember wins. They're all painful, but that one, I don't know. Uh, I still have never watched any of the Super Bowls, whether I won or lost them on TV, so I couldn't tell you a lot about them. But, you know, I just have some bad feelings towards that game. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that the NFL was wanted the Steelers to win, but it was a very, an environment that was non-conducive to be a Seattle Seahawk player Yeah. and, and, and try to win. I mean, it just, there's a lot of stuff that went on that week. It was the Jerome Bettis show, you know, for it was supposed to be a neutral site, neutral fans and all that garbage. And then, then we have referees, you know, there's five minutes left on the clock and I firmly believe that. I can always win, you know, no matter how much time's left on the clock, I'm going to find a way to win. And this time left on the clock and this, you know, I don't know how much we're down by. It wasn't that much. And this referee's like yelling at us in the huddle to calm down. The game's over. And I was really close to choking a human being when I heard that come out of his mouth. And uh, I still get angry thinking about that game, but 
uh, I have more, you know, sour grades towards that game than any loss I've ever had. But, yeah. you know, once again, we didn't play well enough to win. Had we played our best, I believe we should have won that football game. We didn't play our best. They did, and they won. And, you know, it wasn't like it was any easier to take. But for some reason, that one, it, it didn't resonate within me as much. I don't know if it was because I was at kind of the downhill side of my career and just a lot of the emotion didn't play out of me at that point. But I didn't feel the anger and the hatred at the right after the game that I felt after. I, I still hate the Patriots and I still hate the Steelers, but I just really have a lot of animosity towards the Patriots. Let me ask you one final question here. I got a few other questions about what's it like to play in the Super Bowl. We're going to save those for the bonus edition. But one final thing here, for someone that has played in and lost two Super Bowls, for someone that may be listening to this, who's like, I'll never play in a Super Bowl, never win, let alone lose a Super Bowl. But how do you pick yourself up after that? You know, for someone that maybe had just a huge defeat in life, whether it be a personal thing or a business thing, or they lost their job or their business failed or they went bankrupt or they they just had some, you know, just significant, massive thing that just didn't go according to plan. How do you pick yourself back up and, and regroup and recover after something like that? You know, it's, it, it, we had a coach a long time ago tell me it's one plane clear. It doesn't matter the success you had or the failures that you had just had on what happened. It's what are you going to do the next time? You know, if you hang it up, you're never going to win. So what are you going to do next time? Yeah. And uh, that's just that's how I approach life. That's how I approach football. It's like, that's great. You know, and I try to teach that to my kids all the time. I'm like, I'm so proud of what you just did. And that's great. And we're going to celebrate it right now. But that's really not going to help you about what's ready to come up next. Yeah. You know, so celebrate your wins, learn from your losses, and get ready for the next thing. Because something else is always coming down the pipe. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Hey, I do have a couple other questions. I want to ask you what it's like to just what it's like leading up to the Super Bowl. You know, at the time people are going to be listening to this, we're going to be a couple of days before the Super Bowl. So what's that week like? What's the day of the night before? What's it like to walk out on the field? So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're going to save that for the bonus round. So Grant, thanks for the time, man. Really enjoyed chatting with you and really good stuff. Sorry, Grant. I got my fat head hit hold for a second. <laughs> hey, well, I got a couple other questions for you. We're going to stick save those, though, for the bonus round. So we'll be coming right back at you. Good stuff, man. Really appreciate the time. Boom. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with my buddy Grant Wistrom. Again, great stuff there. Love hearing his story and journey of not only what it's like to play in the NFL, but what it's like to play and win and lose in the Super Bowl. So in fact, you're going to want to stick around for the bonus edition. Make sure you come back for the bonus material. One of the things I ask Grant is, what's it like behind the scenes? You know, leading up to the Super Bowl, the week of, the night before, day of, walk us through that day. What's going on in your mind? What's going on during the game? Do you ever take a moment to realize that you're playing in the Super Bowl? Like one of the largest stages. Maybe I think it's the most viewed thing at TV events around the world each year. So we talk all about that and really it's a lot of fun. So make sure you download those additional, I think it's about eight, nine minutes or so of bonus material. You can go to grantwaldencom slash 76, the number 76 for episode 76. Again, that's grantwaldencom slash 76 and you can download that free bonus material there. Hey, if you are just joining us, if this is one of your first episodes tuning in, yeah, we had a great guest today, but we have great guests every single week. You know, you might want to go back, check out some of the archives. Episode 42, we've got Drew Pittman, who is a NFL agent. He's a modern day Jerry Maguire. We had episode 45, we had my buddy Jeremy Meyer, who actually used to be in a boy band and then went on to become a CrossFit beast. So great episode there. You might want to check out who also, coincidentally, Jeremy Meyer is Grant Wistrom's business partner. They own a co-own, I think a couple CrossFit gyms. So might want to 
check that out. Also, uh, episode 15 with Jake Thompson is a great one as well. He's building a lifestyle brand, focuses on a lot of athletic wear, especially in the CrossFit community. So all just like stud dudes who are doing really cool stuff. But I'd encourage you, if you're just checking out, if you're just tuning into the show, definitely go back in the archives, find some shows that are applicable, relevant to what it is that you are looking for and maybe what it is that you're trying to find in terms of work that you want to do. That's a big thing we talk about here every single week. It's helping you find and do work you love. So make sure you stop by and check that out. Also, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the show. That way, whenever new episodes come out, you never miss anything. We don't want you to miss out on uh, what's going on. So you can download and subscribe episodes within the app that you may be listening through right now. You can download those and subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you may find your podcast, wherever you may do your podcast listening, you can check it out there. Hey, as always, feel free to email me, grantogrambaldon.com. Feel free to let me know what you're pondering on, chewing with, wrestling with, anything that I can do to help you, support you on your journey to find and do work you love. Again, you can do that at Grant Baldwin. You can email me, grantogrambaldon.com, or hit me up on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. All right? I think that wraps up this episode, my friends. Thanks for hanging out with us. Again, make sure you stop by. You download the bonus material. You can go to grantbaldwin.com slash 76. Again, grantbaldwin.com slash 76. We'll be coming at you again with some more delightful goodness. We'll talk to you soon. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.